Welcome to Executive Tools, How to Structure an Organization, Part 3. This cast answers these questions. How do I build an org chart? What is the primary goal in structuring an organization? Why are org charts also different? So if you want to answer these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. All right, Mark, here we are. What, Part 3, right? So we're talking about how to structure an organization, which would seem really simple. You just get Sure. One of those fancy org chart softwares. You just start drawing boxes, <laughs> throw random people in random you Spend parts. hours and hours and hours structuring your boxes to make them real pretty in the right dimensions. Absolutely. The question I always have is, do you use a solid line or a dashed line? Under what circumstances do you do which? Uh, so it's and, and then you got the whole thing of color. I mean, are you going to do color? Color. Yeah. I like um, steel blue is my favorite. Steel I, I blue. Like that. Good. Yeah. It, the organization performs so much better if the org chart <laughs> is in steel blue. In steel blue. I, I prefer Dodger blue, but you know, there, steel blue works. Yeah, I would. All right. So I, I think we promised ourselves a long time we'd st stop yes. chat and get straight to things. And I started it. My apologies, folks. So we've talked. God, we talked about the rules. We talked about the rules. We had, we had three real rules. Build your organization of service customers, number one. That's it's the purpose of the organization is customers serving customers. Yes. So you've yes. got good idea starting there. Rule two, in typical horseman fashion, make it as small as possible. Oh no, make it smaller. Yes. Get <laughs> smaller than possible. Okay, so keep it keep it small and flexible. A one in a box. We talked about why not one in a box. Um, so we've talked wait, about. Wait, the, we told them. Wait, wait, wait. You said why not one in a box? You mean why one in a box? And why not two or three or four in a box? That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah yes. Good. Okay. So we've talked about the rules. <laughs> At some point, we get to actually start creating an org chart, and that would be now. Yeah. And I know we hear this a lot from people. I wish your cast were shorter. I would love to have just started with create an org chart, but if you don't know those three rules, the steps are way harder. So. How do you create an org chart? Okay. The first step is as simple as the rules themselves. You start at the top. You create one box that is the singular leader of the organization you're going to create. Okay. Now, whatever you do, do not, I say again, folks, do not, and we alluded to this in earlier rules, do not put a name of an actual person in the box yet. Okay, we're only designing the theory of the org right now based on our constraints regarding who we serve and the budget, the size, and with that rule about one in a box, okay? We're not staffing it yet. We're creating an org chart. Staffing is the next step, okay? Now, you might ask, why don't we start with people since they're what matters? And again, two reasons because we're still supposed to be thinking about the purpose and the results, our first rule. And because the moment you put people in boxes, everything changes. That said, just be patient. If you follow these rules and these steps, the likelihood that you'll get to something that really works is very high. If you do it backwards and you try to put people before the or, or people before the purpose, or people before the results of the metrics, you're doomed. It'll never work because you'll discover that your people don't match your metrics and your results. And then you, and the only thing you have to change, you're not going to change the results of the metrics. So you end up only being able to change the people, but you start with the people. And so you end up crumpling up a whole bunch of piece of paper, whether they're in steel blue or not. And that's why we recommend pen and paper or pencil and paper. And you end up back where you started from. Okay. 
So get the top box. So label that first box with its purpose. And as a general rule, short and sweet, okay? Could be leader for the top one, could be sales. Notice we're not saying titles yet, okay? Could be sales for somebody who has to lead the sales organization. But again, don't try to give them titles. Why not titles? That, that's, that surprises me. Yeah, so it's, it's a waste of time. Titles have political implications, right? Oh, is this person a director or a chief or is this the C-suite? People are always talking about the C-suite. It actually should be the C-sour because really, really, <laughs> you'll get in an argument about titles. You will. And the titles are really more about the people in the roles even before you start putting people in boxes. So we stay away from titles. And let's remember, titles don't produce results. People do. And frankly, really good people don't care about titles. You get people starting to complain about titles. It's like, let's just fold up our tent and go home. And we'll come back to titles, okay? Right now, just labels to help you differentiate things. You could have three people, let's say, or five people in the sales organization. It could be sales leader, and then sales admin, and then sales rep, one, two, three, four. That would be it, hypothetically. Now, so you've got that top box, leader, chief, director, senior, senior, customer service, org, boss, whatever, I don't care, okay? Now, you've got one box with a purpose, a name, and then you go down a level below the top box. And at this point, you ask, what did your analysis, and the first, as we went through the three rules, what did your analysis show you and tell you was needed in the group that reported to that top box? And customer service, you know, for the top box, you've got, you're essentially all the parts of the organization come together in that singular one in a box, top box. And so is it, do you have customer service in this organization? Okay, maybe there's a box for that. Is there engineering? Is it operations? Is it sales, manufacturing, design, materials, whatever? Your call, and this is really almost more important than that top box, because by definition, that top box is singular. Now you're actually saying, these are all the functions that this organization needs to be successful. Right. Everyone, and no more than is absolutely necessary. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, that's a good general way. You know, it's, it's necessary and sufficient both, meaning you have everything you need and those things that you need are sufficient in and of themselves and we don't need extras. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't create an org chart that has one at the top and then has six, but you're only certain of four of them. You know you need four departments or divisions or whatever, but then these other two, I'm going to put them out there because I made him leader. Don't do that. Okay? Still, no names. Okay? This is a, this is an empty org chart. It's just an org chart. It's not a people chart. Okay. This is an org chart based on mission and purpose and results. It's an analytical construction project, not a hiring fair. Okay. Then one by one among those boxes in the second row, after you've labeled them customer service engineering materials, for instance, then you take each one of those as if it's its own leader, kind of like what you did from going from level one to level two, and you build the row of boxes between each below, beneath each one of those boxes. So you might have three in customer service and six in materials and five in engineering, just making that up. Give them purposes, 
not titles, not roles, just purposes. But names now. I can get. I finally can get to names, right? Yeah. You're such a people person, Mike, that I'm glad exactly. you're thinking about exactly. names. Exactly. You and I are such natural people persons as engineers. <laughs> no peoples. No, no, we're not getting to peoples. And then so on and so on. And you're building this analytical map, not a hiring fair, just an analytical map, analytical map, no, no names at all. Now you do that level by level. And you build each succeeding level. By the way, I've tried it both ways. I've said, okay, I'm going to build the sales organization, and then I'm going to go over and build the materials organization, and then I'm going to go over and build the engineering organization. In other words, you're going to build one column, and then another column, and then another column. I found that didn't work nearly as well. It's better to go top down and to do, I'm going to build, it would be level three of the org. It would be level two of the materials organization. And I would build level two of the materials organization at the same time I built level two or in the same time area as the engineering organization and the customer service organization, right? Assuming I have three people, three boxes reporting to the chief, whoever the chief is going to be. In other words, I don't build the third, fourth, and fifth levels of materials before I build the third level of engineering and customer service. Again, I just made this up, folks. It's not important. We have three areas in this organization we're building, customer service, engineering, and materials. I'm not saying that makes sense. They're just areas of responsibility. So let's talk a little bit about software for this. A couple of things we've learned over the years, working with software, doing it pen and paper, doing it with crayons, doing it on whiteboards, Mike and I love to work on whiteboards and then take pictures and erase. We even had a, one time years ago, we had a whiteboard that would print things. Uh, and they never, I don't know, maybe the technology's gotten better, but at the time we had it, it didn't really, it didn't really help us that much. You basically created a picture that you could import in, into your computer and then do whatever you want to do with it. And you could play it back. You could play back the pen strokes and see how you got to where you got. Yeah, I think you're right. I, it's overkill. It's just a piece of technology that never quite clicked with me. And I like technology, so. I do too. Yeah. Okay. Most software for org charts is overkill. Okay. You just don't need all the bells and whistles they put into the system. And I understand why they put a lot of bells and whistles. Somebody really senior at some big company needs all the bells and whistles, or they're essentially, in many cases, Org chart software is to create a map with all kinds of associated information for each one of those roles of an existing org, okay? Using it and learning it and understanding all of the size of the boxes and the dotted lines and the colors and the straight lines and do you do a curvy line to connect things or a straight or a diagonal line or whatever is just an extra layer of complication on top of what is really important which is the thinking about the org and ultimately about the people. Yeah, it, and it's kind of like um, early phases of design of some kind of software application, right? If you, get, if, you, if you get too formal, too detailed, you know, start creating prototypes that look exactly like it's going to be, you become enamored with what you have. And yes. You're less likely to use it. That's our change. It. That, that's been my experience. Well, it's the same thing with PowerPoint. People discover that PowerPoint could make things pretty. And so they spent their time making things pretty rather than thinking about who they wanted to persuade of what. Org charts, same way. You can make a beautiful org chart. But if you're not really thinking through the scope, 
in terms of what your budget is and how big you're supposed to be and you should keep it smaller than as big as you can make it and results and metrics and purpose of the organization, you end up with something pretty that doesn't work. Um, so some of the software even insists that they know the rules for you. And I, I'm sorry, it's like it's like uh, the HRIS systems have, they've done a lot so that managers now, Workday comes to mind, Zendesk, I think Zoho, they all think now that because we have some software on the manager's desk, which helps him or her with managing their people, like timesheets and accountability and pay and feedback potentially or comments that you could use in a one-on-one -on -one or in a review purpose or something in a review situation with your boss or with HR, those software companies are then trying to make up they think, well, we've got a, a we've got a voice with the manager now. The manager has to interact with us. So why don't we teach them how to manage? The problem with that is the people who are running those companies don't know how to manage. And so they put out stupid ideas in their software. And you wonder, well, gee, why isn't this working? Because the person who did it is good with software. Nothing wrong with that. We need people who are great with software, but it's not software is not management. Plus, another thing about this is you can't in the software, because the computer wants it to be just so, you can't really sketch things out, which is always faster. Sketching things out is always faster than learning the drawing tools of a new piece of software. And you don't have the clock cycles in your brain to both learn the drawing tools and to think about the org you're creating and its results and its metrics and its people. If you can't resist, if you just got to have some software and you want to spend all weekend deciding on the whether it should be an inch wide or an inch and an eighth of an inch wide, wait until you're well and truly done with your org chart and then reproduce it using that software to make it look pretty. Okay. Now, second, try to capture rough salaries as you're creating this org chart without people rough salaries as you add new boxes. You can just scribble in a K number like 54K or 98K or 104K, whatever, in the corner of each box. Once you get each row done in the org, no people yet, add up all those Ks across a row and scribble down out to the side of the row, the total of all those Ks, how much that is. What you'll discover is you think you can have a five-layer organization, but when you get to layer three, you have spent all of your budget. Hmm. Yeah. And if you wait until the end to look at salary, you're going to have spent hours and hours and hours working about the lower part of the organization, and you don't have any money left over because of how much you're going to spend at the top of the organization. This is another thing where people complain, the operator complains about the originator not giving him or her enough money, when in fact... Money is probably a huge part of the results and metrics of your organization in most places. You've been given a budget. Having that budget will naturally keep you reined in in terms of the size. And then, by the way, obviously, you're going to have row numbers out to the right or to the left. Add up the row numbers. And after you've got the third row in there, tally up the first three rows. Tally up the first row, the first two rows. So you know how much money you're adding at each row. Yeah, you're going to get a really rude shock when you discover that you're 50% over budget, when you finish. 
it's so disheartening to have to go back through everything with a scythe because at some point as you're planning things, your brain is going to start telling you, you know, you're pretty smart. This is going pretty good. Right. I can see an end in sight. And when you see the end in sight, as you're drawing this analytical org chart without people's names in it, you're going to say, okay, we're almost there. We're almost there. Almost there. But money is not how your brain is working as you're building an org chart. I've done this numerous times. And I, I mean, I'm always amazed at how the numbers if you don't keep track of them, they'll get out of hand really, really quickly. Yeah. And you're making all sorts of assumptions as you're building the organization. If, yes. you, if you believe it at some point in the process that I have two more levels I get to go down, you've made all sorts of assumptions about how, how the work's going to get done. Yes. And boy, to get down to the bottom, you're absolutely right. And find out that you don't have enough money. It's like, you got to go revisit all your assumptions. All, all the assumptions. Your, oh, yep. yeah. Not fun. I've done it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we both have. So th this is actually where the software could help. They usually have some salary functionality, but we still don't recommend it in this rough building phase because of the other issues you'll have with that software. Okay, so that's step one. You build the org chart and you keep track of what you think roughly these positions are going to pay. Those positions, those numbers will change. That's okay, particularly if you put one person in one role and so on, but you've got to have a structure that you believe on paper, analytically, without people, will serve the mission and a number that is within the budget you're given. Okay. Well, we got, we've got a lot of information on that org chart already. I can't wait to see what step two is because, of course, we can't add names. So I'm yes. curious to see what we are going to put into that box. You're such a good straight man, Mike, because number two is put names in the boxes. Now we come to the fun part. We get to give our friends jobs. It's so cool. It's a cool new area. And they're going to be working for us. So we get to cherry pick all the best people. Yeah. We now get to the step where all the amateurs think is the first step, which is putting names in the boxes, assigning roles to actual people who we know. We have names. Or they're going to be a hiring responsibility at some point. And yes, we start again with the top one. Typically, the top lock, the leader is the most likely to be already known for the role as the org is being imagined. And in fact, we'll give you a little hint, folks. In some cases, it might be you. And so the salary you might have put down for that role might end up being subsumed by your salary. In other words, this is a major additional duty for you and you're the leader of the org, but you already have a job. Now, you might give yourself a little bit of raise or lobby for a little bit of a raise, but in fact, that 150, I'm going to make that up, that you're making now against the 175 that you had that you thought you needed for this role. Okay. Now your budget, you've just saved $150,000 because your 150 is already in the budget for the organization. Remember, once we've got this, okay, we, we know we've got this structure, but we have not put that person's name. We know who it is. We think she's great, but we haven't put her name in there. Okay. You put that name in the first box and now everything changes, okay? People aren't the purpose of an organization, but they are the engine of the organization, okay? They're the engine and not the purpose. So once we have built the structure from the right perspective, its purpose, we may have learned that our original leader is no longer the rightest, the bestest person for the role. That happens. You had an idea. And then when you get to the org chart done, because you paid attention to the purpose and so on, like, no, he's not right after all. I need to go with him or her. So now we start naming names. 
please, if you only hear one of four or five really important things in this cast, let this next one be important. Do the rest of this work in pencil. Don't be paying somebody to type things into an org chart and then have to un untype them or strike them out and so on. I promise you'll thank us for this. And for those of you who think you're going to do it on your laptop, everybody seems to want to work on their laptop. That way they can work at home at night while they're watching some TV show as well, because that'd be good to build an org chart while you're distracted. Yeah, be good. Yeah, watch Billions while you're doing it too. Just, yeah, exactly. Just good, yeah. Uh, you want to do that, that's fine. But there's no software that will allow you to cross names out as fast as you could do with a pencil and use arrows to move people around and refer to folks with initials that anyone would understand. And then again, cross them out and move them around as you will. Sometimes you'll put Joe Smith in a role and you realize, okay, no, he's got to come out of there. But then later you realize, I was considering Joe for that role and it's still on there. You just crossed him out. You didn't erase him. And by the way, if you're going to put a new name in a block in its software, you're going to have to eliminate that name. And then there's no record that that person's name was ever in that box. And this just takes away from the organic nature, the way our brains work, because your brain does not work like a computer. There are some people who say they do, but those people are idiots. Nevertheless, we do some thinking and we finally get a name in the top box. We're, we're now doing what everybody thought mm -hmm. their job was. Yeah, exactly. But the way forward isn't the way most people perceive. The assumption here is, okay, we did the top box. Now let's do all the next boxes. We fill all the next boxes up with names. Since in our first step, we created all those boxes. But that's the wrong path. If you do that, your org, not your org chart, but your org won't reflect the strength of each of its members. Step two might as well, in fact, be the fourth rule. It's so important. And here it is. Once you put someone's name in a box, you reevaluate all the boxes and people around them to make sure you're considering their strengths and weaknesses and relationships. You don't put anyone else in any boxes until you consider the impact of the person on the box. Okay, so most people are like, I don't think I understand that. So our favorite example of this, we're going to use an example of two CEOs. One is gregarious, loves meeting with and talking with people. She's cheerful. She's well-liked. Call her the salesperson. The other CEO candidate is studious and careful and smart and analytical. He likes details. We'll call him the scientist. If you put the salesperson in the CEO box, okay, you can do that. You can probably keep the eight boxes. I'm assuming now that there is a, a second level in this work with eight boxes. Okay. You can keep those eight boxes because that CEO salesperson can probably have eight people reporting to her. And she'll love it. Right. She'll love it. To. Great. Right. Exactly. But again, those eight boxes don't have any names in them yet. You're just validating that that person you put in the one slot who is going to be supervising all the people in the two row that she or he can handle eight direct reports. But if you put the scientist in the CEO box and you leave those eight directs reporting to him, that's a huge mistake. You're creating this org from scratch for a custom purpose. The people in it matter. They matter a lot more than the lines and blocks. Why would you put someone into a job specifically designed against their strengths. No, 
you wouldn't. What you'd probably have to do there is have one or two people only report to the scientist, one of them maybe being a chief of staff, and the other six to seven directs from your purpose-driven chart would now report to the chief of staff. So we've limited the span of control of the scientist CEO to one or maybe two. When a person inhabits a brand new role, the nature of the person changes the roles and the structure around it. Now, we're not saying that one person completely reorganizes the entire org, but they certainly affect it. They stretch it, they compress it, they loosen it, they tighten it. Could be almost anything. This may be the most significant point in the entire cast, because I think most people believe the org chart is somehow, it's a, it's a representation of precise, scientifically driven understanding of the processes and the handoffs and deliverable between different parts of the organization, and it's fixed. And we put people in those roles, and we force them, lead them, whatever, yeah. to get them to do what's necessary in that particular role. And you're suggesting, stating, you're more than suggesting, you're saying is a fact that people matter, that people in the boxes matter. It's not this yeah. static structure that is the same regardless of the people in it. Yeah. And we'll take that example a step further. Let's leave the salesperson. Um, she's fantastic. We're going to make her CEO or director or lead or chief or whatever. And then she's got eight people reporting to her. We can leave those eight boxes there. She can handle eight. We have no doubt about that. She likes people. But the first person you're going to put in, let's say in the materials department, is not a great communicator. Okay. When you put that person in there, you say, ooh, I had planned on five people reporting to the head of materials, but I don't think this person we put in to run materials can handle five. And so we have to decide how we're going to handle that. What are we going to do? And in some cases, folks, you'll discover that the person who theoretically should lead the materials organization may not have the people skills, the political skills, the operational skills, the organizational skills to do it. And this is why it always astounds me that people say, well, yeah, we, we looked at all of our salespeople and we, we promoted the number one salesperson. Sometimes the best person to promote is number two. They're not maybe as good a salesperson as the person who's number one, but gosh, they've got triple the management capabilities, triple the training capabilities, triple the administrative and um, team building skills that the number one salesperson has. Uh, this is what Google discovered when they went manager list years and years ago before Project Oxygen came along. They said, oh, we'll just promote the smartest engineer. And it was a disaster. And they went away from managers entirely because they had made a wrong decision and said, we're going to promote the person who's best at the job below. And that's why promotional responsibilities are so important. And it's why we recommend, if you're a manager, make sure your people can do 150% of their existing job, their job, and 50% of yours. So when they take over yours, they'll know enough about your job that the newness of it won't crush them like a grape. Yeah, you should make a rule about that, 150% rule or something like that. That'd be a good name for it. Yeah, that'd be good. We, we could have a podcast about that. I think that podcast came out in like 2009. That's right. There I is think. one. Yeah. Yeah. It was over a decade ago. Why did we do it so long ago? Because nothing has changed about organizational <laughs> life in the last 50 years. I'm kidding, folks. Some things have changed. You have a phone in your hands. Other than that, human beings, there's no evidence we've changed in the last 10,000 years. Talk to any sociologist. They'll tell you all the same thing. Okay. so. We put a person in the role, and then we rejigger all the, all the relationships around. One of the things is when you finish putting eight people working for that sales chief, the, our superstar, we're going to look at the interaction of those eight. How well do they know each other or not? How well do they get along? 
or not? And what does that mean for span of control? What does that mean for budget? Okay. So you're going to go through and you're going to end up and, and it's going to be iterative. You're gonna, oh my gosh, I got to go back up here. Oh, I got to go back up here. I got to back up here. And then finally, you're going to wake your, make your way down. And if you have a four level, four level organization, let's say with four levels, you're going to have 50 people in it. You're going to do some iterations on probably 30 of them. And it's going to take a while, but it'll be so much easier because you are well-founded and well-grounded in what you're doing and why, because you're always going to have the purpose of the organization in your mind. And so what you do is continue that process. And it's our step three, change the structure over and over again. Okay. You iterate over and over again on this. You put the person in the box, you reassess the peer boxes and the direct report boxes. Now, I mentioned 50. We sincerely hope that the first structure, first org you're asked to build is less than 50 people. The iteration on the box person interaction and the ripples it tends to create can be really annoying. On the other hand, it can be really satisfying when you realize you've built an organization that will succeed. Yeah. Now, I, I assume in here, you're thinking if the person's building a 150-person organization, Whew. they're getting some significant in, uh, input from leaders below them and other people in, involved in this thing, right? I would be shocked if yes. I mean, yo, oh, heck yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if a consulting organization was involved in that. Yeah, okay. Perhaps much to your chagrin. The consulting organization is going to ask you to pay them to interview every single person to find out their strengths and weaknesses. Doesn't the organization already know that? Why are we paying some outside firm to find that no, out? They should. They should. Yes. Who should? That's one of our favorite words when it relates to management. In fact, I'm pretty much all organizations should do certain things. And because they should, they probably are, right? I mean, it must be yeah, like profits are flowing like a clear mountain stream. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One more thing I want to add. And then we can summarize because I know this has gone long and people, I'm a little wordy at times. There's a bonus lesson here. Folks, you don't have to start a new organization in order to use this logic and this process. You can do this to your own org now. Once you know how to do this, why not teach your directs how to do it by reimagining your own org? Get your, your key directs together and say, hey, Let's use this logic, let's use this process, and let's figure out what would we do now to our organization? And the reason why is because I guarantee you, since your organization was originally created, its purpose has changed, its metrics have changed, its people have changed. You've probably put some people in boxes and realized that that box, I feel like I have to fill it, but I don't have a person for that box. Maybe I have to be asking myself, do I need that box? Maybe there's somebody who could be not two in a box, but one in two boxes where you give somebody a significant additional authority because they're really good managing, let's say, engineering and materials. They rose through the engineering ranks, but they're a materials scientist. And so you're going to give the materials... Uh, part of the materials responsibility of the engineering people as well. Look, your organization has changed over time. Size, structure, people, results, and measures. Frankly, the ideas that informed the original structure being built are no longer valid. And, and folks, here's the thing. This is normal. 
Your, your organization did nothing wrong. Incremental changes happen. And after 15 incremental changes, nobody remembers what the reason for the second incremental change was, but it exists. And we're building now that our purpose has changed, we're building based on fundamentally flawed assumptions about what our organization is intending to do. And too many execs don't adjust their orgs to fit their results often enough. Some of your growth, some of the products you went after or the profitability you went after has become OBE. And I, every once in a while, I get a, a nasty gram mic from somebody who wonders what, what my acronym is. So OBE, if you've not heard it, folks, means overcome by events, meaning it's no longer valid because time has passed it by. Hypothetically, you could see opportunities to give one of your groups to another organization entirely. Okay. Now you might think, wait, I want power. No, you want organizational success. Maybe you want to offer a particular group up more readily for layoffs when you think about it, once you go through the creation process of your existing org, because you realize they're not really aligned with your organization at all. They maybe belong somewhere else and I don't want to lay them off. I want to keep them if I can, or I want the organization to keep them if they deliver value to the organization, but maybe they don't belong, belong in yours. Okay. You'll know better where to hire into your org when you do this and for whom to look. You'll be a much more resilient organization. Okay. I got one more bonus note since I said I'd come back to it. A simple note about titles, folks. You're wasting your time getting creative. Stick with tried and true, and yes, even boring titles. Creative titles smack of narcissism. They'll do you more harm than good. And please don't call all of your managers directors because they're not. It's a selfish aggrandizement that makes recruiters look for other exaggerations on people's resumes. Maybe you can get away with it in Silicon Valley because Silicon Valley thinks it writes its own rules, but other organizations realize there are managers and senior managers and directors who still in Silicon Valley have very few directs and don't have budget responsibility. And Silicon Valley says, well, that's the way we do it. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not the way the rest of the world does it. So be careful about titles. Having cool titles this is not cool. It won't help your people. And other people in your organization will raise their eyebrows. What is this? You, you really think that you can just market this thing by names on business cards? No. In fact, printing out business cards with weird name, weird titles, people are like, yeah, I, we have rules here. You can't put that title on a business card with our company logo on it. Sorry, you can't do it. So that's just an extra bonus. Just stay with the tried and true. Simple. It works. Yeah, it works. Okay. So long cast. Sorry, folks. What is this, our third part, Mike? Yeah. This is our third okay. part. Yeah. So summarizing, standing up an organization is regular fare for execs, yet very few of us are taught how to do it, except you. Now you know. Most of us learn by doing, and frankly, folks, let's admit, it's too important for that. Learn the right way, do it the right way, and then teach others the right way. What will happen is your orgs will succeed more often than other people. And when organizations succeed, more leaders are created. And you will then be seen as a creator of leaders, which is the ultimate goal for all executives. Awesome. Great job, man. That was good. That was fun. That was really fun. I've been wanting to do that task for probably 10 or 12 years. 
I said to myself many years ago, probably should go in executive tools, could have put it in manager tools, but somebody asked me a question, I don't know, six, eight months ago. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's on my list. But it's just so far down my list that I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. And when I started writing it, it just like, whew, I wrote well, it. it sounds like, like six or seven hours. topic, right? It's like, of course, I'm not build more chart. I get Vizio out and go to town. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Or even better, ask HR to get Vizio out and go to town. There you go. Yeah, even better. No, thanks. All right. Thanks, dude. See y'all.